Good evening. Uh, well, let's take a look at Acts 24. Um, I will complete the study of Acts in the next five Wednesdays, including tonight. So we'll do 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. And uh, um, not that I'm in a hurry to do it, but uh, the, it gets faster as you go because they're of the narratives. So let's look at chapter 24 tonight. We are in the context of Paul having been arrested. He came back to Jerusalem and uh, what was predicted would happen has happened. He's been put under arrest. No one's quite sure of what he's done wrong. And uh, he's faced a Jewish mob. He's faced uh, uh, the, the Roman commander, Lysias. Uh, he's faced um, uh, his own accusers. No one really knows what he's done wrong. Except the one thing he said is, I've been given the gospel to go tell to the Gentiles. Well, that's not breaking the law. Um, and so Paul has been uh, confined. He's been beat up, saved from being beat to death. He's been confined. And now there was a, a conspiracy on his life we learned about in chapter 23. Uh, some men who still haven't eaten to this day. He said, we will not eat until we catch him, kill him. So uh, they got to be getting hungry. And so instead of staying there in Jerusalem where the people that wanted to kill him, they thought that he would be let out. And when he was let out and he was moved from point A to point B, they would attack, murder him, and then they go home and have a meal that they haven't had in a while. Um, problem for them is that Paul's nephew got wind of this, told Paul. Paul told the commander, or his nephew went and told the commander. Commander snuck Paul out at night, moved him from Jerusalem where he was being confined at the, the fortress of Antonia. Um, uh, which is still there. It's a little place on the, on the temple grounds where, where Herod the Great built his little, uh, little palace there. He's been moved from there to Caesarea, about 60, 65 miles away, which is where the Roman governor normally resides. So it says in 24.1, after five days, the high priest Ananias. Now five days, it's not that Paul's been in Caesarea for five days. I don't know if this matters to you, but five days is dating back from the time Paul was first uh, accused thrown down, beaten up. Five days later, and I'll tell you what, why that is as we go. But he was just there overnight. The Jews, probably the ones that are trying to, won't eat until they kill him, probably said, well, we got to get there because we still want to eat dinner tonight. So they're going to make their way down. So it's just been five days since Paul first um, was attacked. Now note, when Paul got to town, when he came to Jerusalem, When he came to Jerusalem, he, want, he needed to go through a purification, seven-day purification. So he was in Jerusalem for seven days, and then he was sent into the temple, as you know, to pay the, the vows of those four Jewish men. So he was in town for seven, seven days, because that, that, that would have been the ritual time period. You've been in Gentile lands, you need to be clean before you can go into the temple, and he was. So that's seven days, he gets beat up on the eighth day, and all of this has taken him to the fifth day. So he's now in Caesarea. After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders. So we know that Ananias, we've seen him before. He is the high priest at this time. I'll tell you how he came to being and to be as we progress here. And with some of the elders, that would be some of the people from the council, the Sanhedrin, with an attorney named Tertullus. Now, attorneys back then, um, I have learned, were not your slick ambulance chasing type attorneys that we have today. And, or, nor your Harvard graduate, uh, we know the law sort of attorneys. They were speechwriters. They were very eloquent speechwriters. They were elo very eloquent sp speakers. They were orators, rhetoricians. And so they come down with a, a real slick talking gentleman by the name of Tertullus. And they brought charges to the governor against Paul. 
And Paul had been, after Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying to the governor, so imagine the scene, they get there, Paul is brought forward, there's the governor Felix, I'll tell you about him as, uh, when, before the night's over, I'll tell you all about Felix, you bring Felix, you've got Paul, who's been in confinement, but he's not been put in a dungeon, he is still a Roman citizen, simply awaiting trial. So we don't want to look at him as having been mistreated. In fact, when Lysias thought he was mistreating him back in Jerusalem, he set him free. You cannot condemn uh, an uncondemned um, Roman citizen. So don't picture Paul as being all haggard or anything. Um, Governor's there, Paul comes in, and then Tertullus and the elders, they come in. They summon, they begin to accuse him, saying to the governor, since, and you'll note this, by the way, nothing, there's nothing in history that says Felix ever did anything good. Nothing. No matter what source you consult, the, most, the main sources would be a guy named Josephus. You've heard of Josephus, Suetonius of the day. No one's ever said anything good about him, ever. I looked everywhere I could. I heard other commentators say, can't find anything. I looked myself, can't find anything. But note how Tertullus, this is, shows you how slick he is. Since we have through you attained much peace, no you didn't, and since by your providence reforms are being carried out for this nation, no they weren't, we acknowledge that, that acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. What a schmoozer. <laughs> but that we may not weary you any further. You know, we, we hate to bother you, you're so great. I beg you to grant us, by your kindness, a brief hearing. For we have found this man, so here are the accusations against him. We have found this man a real pest. Uh, that, uh, that word for pest in the English text, Greek text, it means plague. We found him to be a plague, a cancer, spreading around this malignant tumor. We found him to be a pest and a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world. You ever have somebody come up and tell you, lots of people are saying this. Usually that means my spouse and I. Lots of people think, I've, t- I've read a lot. I had one guy in class, I was years ago, I was a professor at the College of Biblical Studies, and, and he wanted to argue with me on a point. And I said, uh, said something, he goes, um, um, you'll be, whatever he said, he very, tried to say it real eloquently, he said, you'll be remiss if, if I didn't tell you this. I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that, that this is this and this. I said, how much research you know, have you done on that? And he said, a lot. <laughs> and I said, I'm all ears. One article. One article. After I got it at him and I humiliated him a bit, I shouldn't have done it, but it sure felt good. I said, so you've read one article on this and you've done a lot of research. This is what people do, is what we do, we're all guilty of it, I suppose, of trying to draw things, draw our, or make our point by embellishing it. So when he's saying, we have found him to be a real pest, We haven't seen that in any of Paul's travels. A fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews. All the Jews? Well, where's Paul been? He stirred up some dissension, but who doesn't? People stir up dissension everywhere they go when you open your mouth. The Romans stir up dissension wherever they go. Throughout the world? The world? What world? The only places we see Paul really stirring up dissension are in Acts 18, um, in, uh, in Corinth, and you remember, they brought Gallio. They brought him before Gallio. And before they could even state their case, Gallio put his hand up. Don't need to say anything. You're free. Go. There's nothing here. In Acts 19, we saw the big, huge stir up there in Ephesus because they're accusing Paul of, of uh, <clears throat> speaking against Artemis and her temple. 
Big, huge riot. But the city clerk comes in, comes in at the end and says, we don't have any charges here. You guys need to go. We're going to all get in trouble. Nothing against Paul. He knew there wasn't. Acts 21, we see Paul coming to Jerusalem. The Jews make a big whoop to do about him because he supposedly brought a Gentile into the temple, which he didn't. So there is a stir. We have seen stirrings, but all of them have just been phony. But embellish it. So he's bringing dissension among all the Jews, wrong, throughout the whole world, wrong, and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now, have you ever heard of the Nazarenes up to this point in the New Testament? They're, they're, not, they're not a group. Uh, and a sect, by the way, it sounds ter- terrible. It sounds like a, a cult, sectarianism. That would be a sect, a group that's outside the lines. You know that the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are both called sects in the Bible? They're a group. It's not a, not a bad name. We use it for a heretical group. They're sectarian. No, this is, just, this is a group of people with a common purpose. And put the, they embellish it, or Tertullus does, sect of the Nazarenes. Well, we know Jesus was from Nazareth, um, but there's no group of, of Nazarenes. There was a guy from Nazareth. And everyone hated that town, so we're going to try to make that town look all the worse. So you can see what he's doing here. He's a great rhetorician, a speech giver, and he's hamming it up. All the Jews throughout the world, he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. No, he's not. None of those things are true. He even tried to desecrate the temple, and then we arrested him. Okay? Did he try to desecrate the temple? No, he, was, he, was, he didn't even have time to desecrate the temple. He spent a week being, being uh, purified, and he goes into the temple, and he gets falsely accused. Now, in some of your Bibles, you will begin to see here a bracket. Or a, a little mark that says go down to the bottom of your Bible. And, and it, there's an additional phrase that's not in the earliest and what we would call best Greek manuscripts. It just simply skips and it says, let me, let me read it for what the oldest ones say. I'm going to read verse 6 again. And, when he even, and he even tried to desecrate the temple and then we arrested him. Now go to um, verse 8. Ordering, just actually the second half of verse 8, which says, By examining him yourself, you're concerning all these matters, you will be able to ascertain the things of which we accuse him. So you can see that the bracket is not needed, but there is a text that, that comes into play here. And I think it's, it's legitimate. It's called the Western text. And it says they're basically adding a little bit more. Now, what are you saying, Brenda? You don't have it in yours? Right, that's what I mean. Verse 7 isn't there. It's attached to the latter part of verse 6. And so that's why your Bible, you'll be going, wait a minute, some, there's a misprint in my Bible. No, it just means that in a, in, a, in a good Bible, they're trying to accommodate for some manuscripts of the, of the Greek that have this text and others don't. Some, some English Bibles will go ahead and include it, put it in brackets. Others will put a little mark and you'll go down in the, in the bottom or in the, uh, the footnotes and you'll see what it says. Well, here's what it says. We wanted to judge him according to our own law, Tertullus says, but Lysias, the commander, came along and with much violence took him out of our, our hands. Another lie. Ordering his accusers to come before you. Well, those things, we don't know if they're true, but it would be a great thing for Tertullus to say to try to bring uh, Felix on his side. One way or the other, you see the accusations against Paul. Look at how bad he is. And he says, by examining him yourself concerning all these matters, you will be able to ascertain the things of which we accuse him. And as he says this, the Jews also join in the attack, asserting that things things were so. 
I wonder if in a funny way, you know, maybe Tertullus had become somewhat verbose. And as he talked, you know, maybe some of the Jews fell asleep while they're listening to him. And, some, and he finishes and somebody, hey, yeah, hey, yeah, 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 we think that too. Yeah, uh-huh. Maybe they just woke up right at the end. Because that, that's kind of what it says. The Jews also joined in the attack, asserting these things were true. Is this true? What did he say? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Paul's a bad guy. That's what the crowds did with Jesus. They just go out and they start telling people, yell out, crucify him. Call for Barabbas. What do you mean? Who's Barabbas? Just do it. Okay. Verse 10. When the governor had nodded for him to speak, so I like this about Felix. He doesn't listen to the, he listens to the first argument, but he looks over Paul. Paul, you ready? Paul responded. Know what Paul says. <laughs> this is hilarious, I think. Knowing that for many years you have been a judge of this nation. That's all he says. No, O king, live forever. I, we had a, a burger cookout years ago at the church, and we got all our burgers from Walmart. Don't do that. <laughs> and I remember one of the guys said, they were the most tasteless burgers ever. And one of the guys said, I've had a lot of burgers in my life. And that was one of them. <laughs> or I saw one commentator say, uh, this is what you say when somebody shows you a picture of their ugly baby. Yes, that is a baby. That's really what Paul is saying here. Yes, Felix, you've been a judge for many years. <laughs> there's, there's no embellishing here. Knowing that for many years, by the way, he'd been a judge for about five years. He came into power around AD 52, 53. The year is AD 58. And so he'd been there for about five years. Knowing that you have been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Since you can take note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. There's the 12 days. So that would be the seven days after he got there. He went through a purification rite. He gets beat up and accused. Uh, he goes he spends a day and a night in the Antonia Fortress. He's taken the next night to Caesarea. He waits for his accusers. It's all been a whole 12 days. You, know, you, can, you can do a whole uprising in 12 days, can't you? No. So he says, look, since you can take note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship, neither in the temple nor in the synagogues nor in the city itself did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot. Nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse me. But this, uh, and this would be, maybe at this point, Felix might say, are there any of the Asian Jews that are here that uh, accuse Paul of bringing a Gentile in? Nope, they're not here. Well, that one's gone then. That one's dismissed. So Paul is just simply, he doesn't have to have a lawyer. He just has to tell the truth. They can't prove any of this. Verse 14, he says, but this I admit to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect... Of course, Jesus is the way, truth, and the life. The way, according to the Christian movement of which he's a part of, which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. In other words, these Jews that are with this judge here, this, uh, this lawyer, I should say, I, I agree with everything they think. I agree with the law of Moses. I agree with what they believe. I was a Pharisee. They're Pharisees. I agree with everything. There is no charge here. Verse 15, having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection, both of the righteous and the wicked. That's Daniel 12, 1 and 2. The scriptures teach. The Pharisees knew that. Paul is saying, I'm one with the Jewish people. I have nothing against the Jewish people. I believe their law. I believe there will be a resurrection, as they do. And he said, so if I'm guilty of anything, that's what it is. 
Verse 16, in view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. That's what all good Jews tried to do. He says in verse 17, Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. Now remember, Paul has gone through the Gentile churches and taken up an offering. He's come to, that's one of the reasons he came back to Jerusalem. He had a bag full of money to distribute. Now, it's amazing to read um, some of the liberals in this point because they're saying Paul is a liar. He's lying here. He didn't bring that money to help his nation. He brought it to help the church. But the church is Jewish. Is it okay to say, I came to bring money to help my people? Not only in the church, there was a famine in the land. Is that okay to say that? I mean, I think it is. I'm not quite sure why someone would think it's a lie. That's exactly what Paul does. He doesn't separate the distinction between Jews and Jewish Christians. He came to help his nation. After several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings, in which they found me occupied in the temple, having been purified without any crowd or uproar. There's that seven days of purification. They couldn't accuse him of coming in with Gentile soil on him. But there were some Jews from Asia who ought to have been present before you and to make accusation if they should have anything against me. At which point, as I said, Felix may have, may have spoken up. Is there, where are they? They're not here. Charge dismissed. Verse 20, or else let these men themselves tell what misdeed they found when I stood before the council. Other than this for this one statement, which I shouted out while standing among them. And we read this in chapter 23. He said this, for the resurrection of the dead, I'm on trial before you today. So he yelled out before the Sanhedrin, I'm on trial for my belief in the resurrection of the dead. And remember, there was a big discussion among the Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees believe in resurrection. Paul was a Pharisee. Sadducees don't believe in it. Their argument was with each other, not Paul anymore. And Paul is saying, this is really the only thing I've done wrong. I created a ruckus among my people. A ruckus that was there long before I got there and will be there long after I leave. So Felix... Having heard this, he's going to have the same problem that Lysias had, and that was, I don't really know what to do with this problem. Verse 22, but Felix having a more exact knowledge about the way, apparently Felix knew something about Christianity. He put them off, saying, when Lysias the commander comes, comes down, I will decide your case. Well, we don't know if Lysias ever made it. We have no record that Lysias ever came back down. But even if he did, they would have looked at each other and said, what do you think we should do? I don't know. What do you think we should do? I find no charge. I mean, no, no charge that sticks against Paul. Okay, so he yelled out among his men that he believes in a resurrection of the dead. Some do, some don't. That's not against Roman law. It's not even against Jewish law. Uh, There's lots of people that think that. So we don't know about their conversation, but he's putting them off. He's putting the Jews off. Look, when Lysias' commander comes down, I'll decide your case. Verse 23, then he gave orders to the centurion for him to be kept in custody and yet have some freedom. And... Uh, not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. There's various forms of Roman imprisonment, and this would be house arrest. Again, he's not been condemned. He is a Roman citizen. Highest authorities have still yet to find anything wrong with him, so they're going to put him under house arrest, let his friends minister to him. Um, back then, you, if, you, uh, uh, if you're in confinement, you, you can't just go out and go get food. And I don't think the Roman system was providing three squares a day. So your friends ministering to you would bring medicine, food, whatever you might need. And that's, so that's where, where we picture him. Paul, later on, you've heard me talk about Paul being in a dungeon. That's by the time we get to 2 Timothy. That's when Paul is waiting for his execution. And he's down under the city uh, in the sewer. This is not that time. Um, this is not Roman 
confinement either. It is, but it isn't. He still has to go to Rome and be put under house arrest in Rome. Yeah, Vince? I'm sorry. Hi, Lena. No, we do not believe that he, this is the time that he was writing the letters, the, the Philippians, Colossians, um, Ephesians, and Philemon. We don't believe he wrote that because he talks about being under the Praetorian Guard when he wrote Philippians. He's not under Praetorian Guard at this point. So we believe that happens once he gets to Rome when he writes those letters. Um, there's argument that say he might have written something here, but we don't, we don't think that that's the case. We don't, he doesn't know how long he's going to be here, but we do read he's going to be here for two years in a minute. So anyway, he has freedom. People are going to serve him. Verse 24, note this, but after some days, Felix arrived. That means Felix left, because you have to arrive, you have to leave, right? So Felix may have left, When I'm just going to surmise, he may have thought, you know what, I need to get my wife. She's a Jew. She might understand this more. She might be able to help me. So he leaves and brings his wife. Some day, days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla. We'll tell you about her before the night is over. The wife who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. So, brings Paul before him. Paul starts speaking about faith in Christ Jesus. Not really about his case, but he's sharing the gospel, isn't he? That's what you do when you're speaking about faith in Christ Jesus, or belief, or trust in Christ Jesus. She's a Jew. Um, But he was discussing righteousness. But as he was discussing righteousness, how do you become righteous, by the way? By a declaration of God. Through faith. He declares righteous. So he's preaching to him about how one becomes righteous. Self-control. How do you gain self-control? It's one of the, one of the, the, the listed fruits. And people say, no, it's fruit, not fruits. Well, I see nine of them. That's plural to me. They're all one fruit, but okay, there's nine of them. One of them is self-control, isn't it? So it looks like he's discussing God's declaration of righteousness, this brings one under self-control and the judgment to come. But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix decided to give his life to Christ and believed right then and there. Wouldn't that be great? No, it says Felix became frightened. In fact, this is a a very uh, enlightened form of the word fear, uh, phobia. Um, In fact, that's the Greek word, is phobia, except there's an em in front of it in the Greek text, emphobia which is an emphatic form of phobia. And so we, we might, I think a better way of saying, he became terrified, terrified to hear the gospel. And he said, go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. That's a typical person who's been made uncomfortable with the gospel. Just let me go home and think about this. When I find time, one day I had a girl I used to work with years ago, and I was trying to share the gospel with her, and she, said, she kind of put me off. She said, look, it's not that I don't like what you're saying. She said, but I got a lot of things I need to get right in my life first, and then I'll give this a try. And I said, you'll never give it a try. It's, you, this is, that's pretty typical. In other words, I don't want to be rude, but please go away. <laughs> Verse 26, at the same time too, he, that is Felix, was hoping that money would be given to him by Paul. Remember earlier, Paul had come to town with alms, with all that money. Felix believes that Paul's probably got lots of money. And he's hoping that over time he could get Paul in and maybe give him some money. Therefore, he used to sin for him quite often and converse with him. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. I just think of those poor guys that haven't eaten yet. (laughs) Two years later, man, they had to be hungry. 
So let's take a look at a few things. First of all, let's take a look at Felix. He is one of the main characters here. Marcus Antonius Felix. Um, the name that is attached to him, some, some call him Marcus Claudius Felix. You usually took the name, one of the names you took was the person, if you were a slave, who set you free. And there's some dispute on who set Felix free. He was once a slave. Um, some believe it was Claudius. Josephus says it was Claudius. Suetonius so says it was a woman named Ant- Antonia. Antonia. Um, Antonia, by the way, was related to Claudius. And my guess is that Claudius says the emperor set him free through the provisions of uh, Antonia. Uh, former slave set free by Antonia. A daughter of Mark Antony. Uh, Antonia was the mother uh, of Emperor Claudius. So she's his mother. So which one set him free? Is it mom or is it the son? It may be both. But he was a slave. He's the only former slave to ever hold the office of governor in the Roman Empire. Or in Judea, I should say. Felix's brother, and here's a good story. There's a good story behind Felix. That's why I'm telling you about it. He had a brother, Pallas. They were both um, slaves. He was a close friends with Claudius, who would become the, gov- the, the emperor. Pallas uh, was a secretary of the treasury under Claudius and Nero. So they were set free by Antonia, um, who was the mother of Claudius, and Pallas was a good friend of Claudius. So mom and son Claudius, and he's got a good friend named Pallas, P-A-L-L-A-S. Um, Felix is the brother of Pallas. As a favor to Pallas, Claudius appointed Felix governor of Judea in A.D. 52, after the, the previous procurator, or governor, Cumanus, was deposed by Claudius. So Claudius got rid of him, Pallas got rid of Cumanus, and Pallas said, hey, will you set my brother in charge of there? He did. So he's not done anything to earn it. He's not a good guy. Felix was requested to be governor um, by the high priest at the time, whose name was Jonathan. He was part of the, uh, he only reigned one year. Uh, He was a son of Annas, whom we meet in John's gospel. Um, Crime boss in Jerusalem. There's no other way to put it that, that Annas, the high priest, was a crime boss in town. Tacitus, who's the Roman historian, wrote that Felix, maybe he was a little jealous of him, but here's what he says, that Felix practiced every kind of cruelty and lust, wielding the power of a king with all the instincts of a slave. And so this is, uh, there's, there's historical references around him that are outside the Bible. As I told you earlier, Felix never accomplished anything of significance as a ruler, but was renowned for putting down outbreaks of rebellion by outlaws, capturing and executing most rebels, he was known to be cruel and ruthless. So if you have no power and you have no smarts, you just try to flex your muscles, kill everybody who gets in your way, and be seen as a really tough dude. And it looks like that's what Felix tried to be. After Jonathan, the high priest, who was just there briefly in Jerusalem, after he turned on Felix briefly, Felix had him murdered by the dagger, by the dagger men. They were called Sicarii. You ever hear of the Sicarii? They were uh, zealots. Simon the Zealot was one of the followers of, or say, disciples of Jesus. There's a whole group of zealots, but the Sicarii were dagger men. And in all their long clothing, they would carry small daggers within their, their, uh, their clothing. They would come out and in, in large situations just stab as many people as they could. They were assassins. So Jonathan, who helped get Felix on the throne, uh, now spoke bad about Felix, or at least Felix thought he did. So Felix had him killed, had him murdered by the Sicarii. After this, the Sicarii turned on Felix. And one of their leaders was the Egyptian false prophet that we read about in Acts 21:38, who, quote, stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. 
Felix put down this revolt and cleaned up Jerusalem, making himself a hero to the Romans. All you had to do as procurator in Judea, which is governor, which is what Felix was, was uh, put down all insurrections and act like you were the tough guy there. And when you did, Rome thought well of you, keeping the peace in Judea. Felix is known to have sought power and wealth, using as many people as he could, including Jonathan, and then killing them if it suited his fancy. He took bribes and decided disputes for his own benefit, allowing the high priest Ananias full freedom to carry out his evil will in Jerusalem. And so we read about Ananias. Ananias hated Christ. He's the one that, that, that called for, for uh, Paul to be struck. And Paul said, you whitewashed wall. How dare you do that against the law? Uh, it's the same Ananias. So Felix is working with Ananias. Felix is not a good man. In A.D. 59, he was summoned to Rome, uh, but delivered, and this would have been when Nero was governor at this time, uh, but he was delivered from any punishment by his influential brother, Pallas. And really, it's not known what happened to him after that, but he was deposed. So he, he was taken over, and we read at the end there by a guy named Portius Festus, whom we know very little about. Felix was married three times, but the names of only two of his wives are known. Suetonius tells us this uh, in his chapter on Claudius. Two of his wives appear to have been named Drusilla, which is really good because when you're married to one woman named Drusilla and you're, you're used to calling her Drusilla, the next one you want to be Drusilla too. You don't want her called Lisa or anything. You know. Hey, Drusilla, I'm sorry, Lisa. Had to get that in there. Two of his wives appear to be named, one of which was the granddaughter of Mark Antony and Cleopatra. Earlier I spelled Mark with a K. Here I spell it with a C. I see it in history in different ways, so uh, don't hold it against me. Felix's second wife, this Drusilla, was the daughter of Agrippa I. Now, getting the Herods down is, is difficult. Herod the Great had wives, killed most of them, but not all of them. I should say he killed most of them. I was talking to our, our Jewish guide, and she said, no, he didn't kill as many as you think. She said, I think he only killed one. I said, well, he killed the most important one, Mariamne. But he killed anybody who got in his way. Um, so... When he got tired of the wife he was with, if he didn't kill her, he found another wife. And it happened to be his brother Philip's wife. And her name was? Wasn't Drusilla. Drusilla was the offspring. Her name was Herodias. And so when he got together with his brother Philip's wife, uh, they produced an offspring. And that was Herod Antipas. You know Herod Antipas? Or Herod Antipas had uh, some his own problems. Herod Antipas is the one that Actually, it was Herod Antipas, not Herod the Great, who was sleeping with his, with his brother's wife. And they produced Herod Agrippa and another woman named Bernice and another woman named Drusilla. The really interesting part is that Herod Agrippa II married his sister, Bernice. We'll meet them in chapter 25. Married his sister. That's as sick as it sounds. But their other sister is Drusilla. And she married um, Felix. So anyway, the, the Herodian dynasty, you put it on paper, you've got all these marks going out. They slept with everybody they could. His third wife remains unknown. We don't know who she was. But Drusilla, she's the third wife of Felix, formerly married to Azizus. You remember Azizus from history, right? The king of Amisa, that small kingdom in Syria. I never heard of it either. It's modern Homs or Homs. Um, but she was the third wife of Felix. She was known to be beautiful. The youngest daughter of Herod Agrippa I, whose hatred for Christ's apostles and his death is described. You know Herod Agrippa I? He's the one we talked about in, in Acts chapter 12. He's the one that had James killed, the brother of John, uh, and then had Peter arrested, and Peter was delivered miraculously. And then he goes off to Tyre, T-Y-R-E, 
And they start saying, you are the voice of a God and not of a man. And he said, yeah, I am. And he was eaten by worms and died. And not in an instant. It's not like a big worm came and ate him, but he had something inside of him that he was eaten by worms and died. That's this Herod. So uh, she is the youngest daughter of Herod Agrippa I, whose daddy was Herod Antipas. And he hated Christ's apostles. So she's a Jew. She knows this. She's the sister of Herod Agrippa II and of Bernice, to whom Luke will introduce us to in the next chapters. Her reputation uh, for her youthful beauty, or she has a reputation for her youthful beauty, extravagance. In fact, in some cases, it goes on and on about how beautiful this young girl was. She was first married when she was 14. She married Felix at age 20. Um, on account of Felix, with the aid of a Cypriot, she married him on the, the account, some magician comes into the picture. He was from Cyprus, or a Cypriot magician. We meet a Cypriot magician in Acts 13, don't we? Uh, who was trying to influence uh, one of the people that Paul was speaking the gospel to. Must be a bunch of magicians there. Um, but uh, Felix seduced her away from this husband, and uh, she married him and secured her for himself. So she's got some issues going on as well. Um, and now she, but given the fact that she's a Jew and her daddy is Agrippa the first and her uncle would have been Herod Antipas and her great uncle would have been, uh, Herod the great, uh, she, uh, she knows a thing or two about Jews. And so probably that's why Felix brought her in. Tell us something, what's going on here. So when we look at these strange people, I want you to note the greatest apostle that we've ever heard of is being judged by Jews that hate him that make up lies about him. He's going before pagan authorities like Felix and his wife, Drusilla. People that are twisted in their minds, twisted in their actions. And you're thinking, this just didn't right, God. Why should one of your men face those accusers? Well, God told Paul, you're going to stand before kings. And you're going to witness about me. And he did. He is. We see the kings. Later, he's going to stand before Agrippa II in chapter 25. Or 26, I should say. He's going to stand before Nero because he takes his case all the way to Rome. And Nero's the emperor. Nero, that insane, maniacal fool of a Roman emperor, heard the gospel from the apostle Paul. Didn't do much good. Probably bought him a hotter place in hell for his accountability. But it's not right. We might look at it and say, that's not right. These great men shouldn't be judged that way. And yet they were. Jesus was judged same way. Unfair people. Might happen to you and me. Don't think too highly of yourself that we're above that. So as we try to apply this, as I try to apply it, excuse me, when convicted by the gospel or an issue of sanctification, as Felix was, act immediately. Maybe tonight there's conviction. You don't need to pray about it. Once you're convicted, you do not need to pray about it. God's already spoken to you. The longer you put it off, the duller it becomes. Some examples. If you're convicted of repent of some, to repent of some sinful practice, you don't need to repeat it to, to pray about it. I've been convicted that I shouldn't be looking at filth. I think I'll go pray about it. No, just repent of it. Get rid of it. God's already spoken to you. You don't need to go talk about it. Convicted to start giving of your salary to Christ Church? Don't wait till Sunday. You can have your access to the offering box tonight or go online and give it there. I need to pray about giving. No, you don't. You just need to give. Convicted to use your gifts around the church or share an idea? Do it today. What are you waiting for? I'm going to go home and pray about that. You're just trying to buy time. So it's what Felix did. 
Terrified, go away. I'll, I'll think about this later. Convicted to say I'm sorry for something you're sorry about? Find that person tonight or call them and make it right. What are you waiting for? Don't put it off. You don't need to pray about it. I know it sounds heretical, doesn't it? You don't need to pray about it? There's some things we just, we blame on prayer. I mean, we'll pray about it long. What do you expect's going to become of it? If you know the right answer and what God has led you to do, Lord, I just need to waste some time and, and maybe you'll, uh, you know, you'll help me to not do what I know I need to do. When we procrastinate what is primary, the gospel, or what God, we know what God wants us to do. We get lost in the details of what is secondary. Felix was initially terrified of Paul's sermon, but as time passed, he was just entertained. He was terribly convicted the first time. But after that, he, Paul came to him often. Didn't seem to bother him anymore. You ever known people that way? People put you off. I've had people come and say that the, uh, the most convicting things after a church service or in counseling, this is good stuff. I need to do this. You're right. I need to do it. Um, and I had a gentleman um, just somewhat recently came to me and, and poured out all kinds of sinful things in his life. Uh, he's not a, an attender here. He was years ago. And he just poured it out. And I said, okay. <laughs> I don't know what you're expecting to hear, but um, you need to repent of that today. The pornography he was involved in today. You can't do that. Men, if you're involved in that, you can't do that. Not at one day a week, not one day a year, never. Repent of it. Get rid of it forever. And I told him a few things about his wife, but what he, how he needed to treat her, how he needed to be at church. If you don't come to church, you need to come to church. If not this church, then, then a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring church. If you're not reading your Bible, you need to read the Bible. I prayed for him. He got him left. He didn't say a whole lot out the door. But he wrote me an email. And he said, thank you. He said, everything you said, I knew you would say, and I needed to hear. Great. I needed to say it. Um, saw him at church once. Hadn't talked to him since. I don't know. I don't know where he went. Maybe he decided to go to a new church. Finally, I don't know. I hope all those things. But I told him everything he needed to do right then and there. And I, I mean, I was, I was more passionate about it than he was. You ca I can't believe that people live in such, without fear of God. On a daily basis, when our lives could be snuffed out in a second, we don't know what we have left. If there's something you need to do, what are you waiting for? You can't put it off forever. And the more you put it off, the more you're rebelling against God. And the less it will convict you when someone brings it up. You got over it once, you'll get over it again. Yeah, it's all right. That's called a seared conscience. Doesn't matter to me anymore. I was convicted about it once, but not now. Swindoll says, people feel good about raising money for good causes, discussing deep subjects and pleasing people, yet they never plan to say, before God, I am guilty. I open my life. I bow before him. I ask him to do radical things in my life, my home, my business, and my social contacts, because I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You don't see people saying that, do you? That's what you say when you've been convicted. That's what you pray. Not, Lord, I need wisdom. I want you to note Paul's gospel in, verses, in chapter 24, verses 24 to 25. He spoke of faith in Christ Jesus, righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. And here's the interesting thing. Felix and Drusilla, 
did not have faith in Christ Jesus. So that's the first thing you talk about. Righteousness, these two people were anything but. Self-control, Felix was known to act on a dime in pure anger and kill anybody who got in his way. He had no self-control. He had no righteousness. And then Paul talked about the judgment to come. No wonder he was terrified. So it looks like Paul tailored his gospel to those two people and their very evident weaknesses. Righteousness would have been convicted, would have convicted Felix of his unrighteousness, of his cruelty. Paul may have said it. You can't do what you've done, Felix. Self-control would have convicted Felix's unbridled lust toward Drusilla, drawing her away from her rightful husband, using a magician to do it. Had to. Use some magic man to get her to like him. And the judgment to come was aimed at Felix's eternal future. The inevitable penalty for his injustices and immoralities. The gospel tailored to someone he knew was struggling in these ways. To note the three verb tenses related to faith in the Lord Jesus. Theologically, we use three words when we talk about these tenses. Justification. Sanctification glorification justification is past tense it happened when we believed our sanctification is present it is ongoing our glorification is future but as you've heard me say when you look at Romans uh, 8 28 29 30 Paul says those who uh, were uh, those whom God foreknew he also predestined those whom he predestined he also called those whom he called he also justified those whom he justified he also he will glorify them no, he doesn't say sanctify, but he doesn't say he will glorify him. All the other things have already happened. We were foreknown before the foundation of the world. And those whom God foreknew, he predestined. That happened. And they're, they're, they're past tense verbs in the Greek text, called aorist tenses. It happened, it's a past tense, flash shot, action, boom. Foreknown, happened. Predestined, happened. Called, that's in our past. We were called, we, sum- we were summoned to believe, we believed. We were justified, bam, done. All that's done, past tense. And the word glorified is also past tense. I love that. That's already a done deal. You're thinking, well, I looked in the mirror today and it doesn't look like it's happened yet. In God's perfect, all sovereign will, it has been done. It's accomplished. It's already done. Isn't that great? So the three verb tenses related to faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul speaks of justification when we are declared righteous by God through faith. We don't become righteous. God declares us righteous. He just declares us righteous. The overcoming temptation, gaining self-mastery, present. That's what he tells him. Getting self-control. You might look at yourself and go, I don't have self-control, at least not to the the extent that I need to. Okay, you're a work in progress just like me. We're all a work in progress. And so past, present, and then future escaping the final awful judgment of God. Isn't that the preaching of of hell, of standing before God and, and measuring up or not measuring up. I love Paul's gospel. It's very simple. As he stood before a pagan leader. And it was so powerful, he said, got to go. I'm going to go get my wife, bring her in. She never comes back with him. She was probably so offended at what she heard, that's why she doesn't show up again. He just has Paul come before him. Lord, we thank you. I pray that we always be thankful for every little thing for the food we ate or that we will eat for the beautiful and comfortable chairs we sit in tonight enjoying the air conditioner 
people that we love, the church where we worship, your word that sits before us. Thank you for the insight, historical figures, historical happenings. Perhaps this type of unfairness is headed our way, where we ourselves will stand before accusers who accuse us falsely. May we be as graceful as as Paul, as graceful as Jesus. The truth will set us free even if we have to die for it. I pray for the gospel that we preach would be simple and yet biblical. It doesn't have to be complicated to be biblical. May we share it. And I pray, Lord, that people would respond to it positively. We know people hate it. Give us the boldness, the courage to share it. Share it with a smile, to share it in love. We pray in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a sermon by Dr. Lance Waldy, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Cypress, Texas. 